Welcome everyone to the Boss Lady Speaks. I am super excited to have this particular young leader with us today, Tara Kusha. You know, this podcast is all about featuring and talking to people who are doing really cool things in the world and providing some leadership on a micro or macro level, but forging new paths and going where people don't customarily go. And those are the people that I like talking to, and you really are one of them. So you are a Googler. Like you've been eight years at Google since you graduated. And also since then, you have had your nonprofit. And, you know, can I just tell the story when you and I talked and what you said mm -hmm. that had me almost choke on my, on my teeth? So we were chatting and I asked you, so what's your goal, you know, for upcoming goal? And you said, oh, you know, it, it'd, be, it'd be nice to, you know, hit the one. And I was like, oh, what's the one? Well, you know, bring in a million dollars. And I was, and I mean, no, not even a million, like a billion, a billion. You brought in 250 million in the last year for your nonprofit. When I heard that, I was like, well, this is clearly someone who is not scared of the big numbers and who, who really believe in the goodness of people, that people somewhere really do want to do right, because you do. But it was just like, you just said it so humbly, like, oh, you know, 250 million and that. I was like, those are staggering numbers. Those are so staggering. And yet, for you, it seems doable and natural. So can you, can you just start right off the bat with what informs your thinking? How come for you that that number does not seem large or weird or you have such a why not attitude about it? Yeah. So I think often we set these ceilings on ourselves um, and we tell ourselves what is and isn't possible. So we say we are capable of X, we are capable of Y, and I'm a woman of color. So I'm often very conscious of what boundaries people are likely to set for themselves and what society will set for us. When I started Your Voice, I realized people listen if you believe in what you're saying and you don't need to be an asshole and you don't need to be overwhelming. You just yeah. need to say what you need to say and you need to right. say it in a way that is shared with love and compassion and all of a sudden people stop in their tracks because that doesn't happen enough. So I think giving people a reason to do good is often all they need and doing that gently and without uh, attack is so different for people. So I work with a lot of straight white men, for example, and they are just surprised. They are surprised that I can look them straight in the eyes, tell them what they need to do to fix things and chuckle and laugh a little about it because this is a playful world that we're in and to correct things and to address things and to allow people who don't normally have chances to grow means that we have to be willing to play and to mm. laugh a little when things go well or when they don't. But how come you speak like an 80-year-old mentor? You're a ripe 30-year-old. Like how, how have you trained yourself in the distinctions like that, like lightness and humor and compassion and a like a gentle sale, let's call it. Like, what, like what, what principles do you live by or what studies have you done to come to that place? It, the studies are interesting. I love books and reading. So I read about 60 books a year probably a fair amount of information comes out of those books, but I think where everything starts and ends for me is my family. So my mom and dad are just 
my mom is playful and spirited and full of life. And just like everyone at a party knows my mother. And my dad is this man who like you meet and you want to know for the rest of a lifetime. Like he's quiet and gentle and thoughtful and never judges people ever. Like genuinely does not judge people. You walk out of an annoying situation. He's like, yeah, that could have been one of 10 things that went wrong with that person. Like he gives everyone a chance. So um, I think upbringing is a gift at times for people. And for me, it absolutely was. It it Mm -hmm. felt like a privilege to grow up with them. Mm -hmm. And I I touch base every day with how I want to live. Before I walk out of my front door, I look at the door Mm -hmm. and I'm like, am I happy with how I'm living today? And if Mm -hmm. the answer is no, I stop Mm -hmm. and I just stare at the door. And there have been days Mm -hmm. where I don't walk out the door, Joe. I just like stare at the door and I'm like, I've done something wrong. And I call whoever I have a meeting with and I say, I'm going to meet you from the phone because I'm not leaving the house today. And that seems dramatic, but it also leaves you in a place where you have to be proud of how you're going to show up or you don't show up. So then, so that just gives me a ton of follow-up questions, but do you think, think then that, well, too bad for those who didn't grow up with parents like yours, right? Is that just too bad for them? Or can this be learned? Can someone learn? I think anything's that. learnable, right? So surrounding yourself with energies or with people as you go or jobs, uh, managers, mentors, advocates, coaches that help you get to where you want to go. Some of my, mm-hmm. my dearest and sweetest and most loving friends have grown up with like, assholes for parents and I just look at them and I'm like god like how like how did you turn out that way you're so fabulous and you had like this annoying alcoholic father so I think anything is possible and it really Mm. is like when you wake up who are you choosing to be um keeping in mind that we're all human and there's going to be one day where like you wake up and you're just not friendly and then the next Mm. day you say "Ooh, how do I do that better um myself included right right Uh, there's always opportunities for us to grow into those things right so and so you started build your voice eight years ago and tell people I mean you 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 basically bring mentorship to communities that otherwise wouldn't be able to get it which is just beautiful right and then you challenge professional communities and companies to basically pitch in and I don't know it's a bit of a it's like a not a bidding war but it's a it's like well they donated this like are you willing to do the same which is very very smart (laughs) you're Mm -hmm. basically saying they're being really good are you willing which is brilliant right because i i like you i believe that some more people really do want to do good if they get the opportunity but give us just like a snapshot of your nonprofit. yeah so your voice has two sides and distinct pieces of work. We work in communities, traditionally in communities that are underserved and underrepresented. Uh, and every year we pick a few pockets. So last year we were focused on single mothers, people living at the poverty line in urban areas, and folks who have previously been incarcerated in the U.S. where 25% of the jailed population on the planet lives. So um, we, we pick populations where we think we can have eye impact and we provide them with soft skills training. Everything from how to negotiate your first job to looking at presenting with charisma and thoughtfully showing up or managing um, and leading effectively. And then we do those same trainings with massive companies. So we have had about 200 professors around the world gift us their research and we use that research to build out different tracks for how you teach these soft skills. Uh, I think in some ways companies choose us because it sounds great but they are doing something good for the world 
Mm-hmm. And there's another piece of this, which is just that our trainings are pretty fabulous. So like if you were going to pick someone, you'd want to pick the best anyways. And mm-hmm. my ethos is like, I don't want to convince you because I want you to feel better about yourself. I just want you to know that this is the best thing you're going to find. And then it's, it's a, like topping on a cake that you've just donated like millions of dollars to charity instead of just like making one person rich. So I think for companies, the opt-in is both really allowing them to train their employees and allowing them to give back or have a tax deduction. Um, Mm -hmm. If I'm honest, I think the biggest companies don't really do the tax deduction. So at that point, I'm pretty convinced they're just there because they want a good training. Um, And all that money goes back into our community. So we don't have any operational costs. Right. And so, and and tell us what happens then? Like, how does the the whole donation uh, system here work? Like, who donates what? When we have donations... Our donors donate 45% of their money to the coach who's coaching them or the facilitator. And that person, uh, we generally have a lot of employees who are women and people of color, and we want to make sure that they get paid. So 45% of their fee stays with the coach and 55% goes straight back into the community. So the 55%, we have the ethos of give more than you take. No one is allowed to negotiate that. So every once in a while, I get a coach who comes to me and says, well, I'm a woman, I should negotiate. And I say, that is so great. This is not the arena for negotiation, nor will will you get me to budge. So I think there is this sense of giving more than um, we are used to in the average Mm -hmm. like capitalistic Mm -hmm. structure. And people who have an experience to get used to it. um, Mm -hmm. And at the end of a year, they get sort of a note that says, you've donated $30,000 with your coaching. And it feels right. really good for them. Yeah. And, and, and do you think that that is that also, it sounds like that your structures are really based on um, the principles by which you live. I mean, do you really believe that maybe we should give more than we, than we take? Is that a belief of yours? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the playful part, right? It's like I'm running this group. I get to uh-huh. decide what we give and what we take. And a lot of times people just stop when they hear about this model and they're like, Tara, this is beautiful and brilliant. And we don't see like women doing this. We don't see young people doing this in this way. Right. We don't see people of color doing it. So I think like if you name your values, people get to either walk towards you or away from you. And either mm-hmm. way you end up with a community that wants to be there for right. me and for this nonprofit, we've gotten lucky 75,000 people a year. are like, Oh, I do want to be there. Right. Um, But I think for for people who are starting new things, my one encouragement is make sure that you stick with your values because then you wake up and you're smiling and you're happy about it and um, people can learn from you because most people want to be closer to their values and live those values every day. And, you know, I've, as a, as a coach, I honestly do get people who didn't get what you got. They didn't have parents who had the values themselves. So they have, they have no idea. And, but I actually think, I think that people have them. They might be buried, right? But I think they're in there. However, however, I have my take on that. But what is yours? Like how, how does one solidify, how does one know what one's values are? And how do you, how do you live by them? I mean, how, but the, the first step, like how do you even know what yours are? I think when folks have a chance to look at their value structures, often it's not a language we use. We don't walk around the world saying, I value honesty and harmony and balance. 
No one shows up in a workplace and says that, or let's say 1% of people do. I think there's a whole piece of work around the language. Like go look at lists of values, understand which ones stand out to you. See if you'd rename them, write a journal, build a visual board. I think it took me probably a year or two to come up with my set of core values, which isn't to say that they weren't in there. It's just to say I could never vocalize like one of my values is Zen, which means balance and harmony and gentleness. Right. Um, so I do encourage anyone, regardless of upbringing, it's like, Mm -hmm. you need to look at yourself and Mm -hmm. no one can hand you those values. They can mirror them back and say, wow, you seem so gentle. You seem so kind, but you get to pick which ones are going to be your core values. Mm -hmm. And I guess if we're going to argue for that, everybody has that chance. If you just grow up without values around you, you could always use that as a negative example, (laughs) You you can use whatever information you were given. To use, yeah. okay, well, that's what I'm not going to do. And you and can most build a value on that. Successful clients say that. They say, my yeah. dad was the perfect model of everything I'm not going to be in a man. Right. And I read this like frame of toxic masculinity. And that in its own is very powerful because you wake up with a different drive, which is like, right. don't be an asshole. Right. <laughs> like, it's pretty simple. But uh, uh, so then I have, because while we're doing this, is I, those little tidbits can make a big difference for someone who wants to take a leap. You know, the people I interview are, they're they're usually people that I know others want to be like. There are people out there listening right now that want to be you and who want to do what you've done. I don't think so. So No, 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 it's true. Trust me. I know it's true. So, so, but there's always a level for everybody. And so you must also then have a vision. So tell me about, tell me about your vision for uh, Build Your Voice. But then I I also want to hear your vision for you. Big questions, Joe. Mm -hmm. The vision for Build Your Voice is quite simple. I want as many people as possible around the world who don't believe in themselves currently to wake up the next morning and feel as they are capable, confident, and willing to grow into the best version of themselves. It's really that simple. Uh, People from all backgrounds, from all socioeconomic and racial identities, uh, waking up and knowing that there are supporters around them. There are allies and advocates and mentors and coaches and people who just care for their growth. Um, When it comes to my vision for myself, I have this post-it note on my bathroom window, and it seems so silly, but I read a book called The Big Leap, And it said, put this post-it note on your bathroom window and it's your ideal life. And I've written about my ideal life, which is like living in Northern California, waking up every morning, being in nature before absolutely anything else with my little dog or in my garden. It's like these simple parts of who I am that I can't get rid of. Cooking in the morning before I start my work and having a family. I'd love to have a husband and three children. That's sort of my vision. And who knows if that's possible in Northern California because it's expensive. Ah, but but, but, but Tara, you already have like the whole first piece. I see nature behind you. You got a gorgeous dog. You know, like it's all happening. So yeah. now, so everybody who, <laughs> all you fantastic men out there, we have this like beautiful specimen of a woman. Uh, she was ready to have three babies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that do you see yourself like having a family, having children? Um, how about how about you know Greta Thunberg sits like ten minutes from where I sit. You know, I've I've, I've gone and sat with her 
for for climate change. Um, how about that? How about like speaking on big stages or being a voice in the world? Like, how do you feel about that for you? I love the idea of big stages, Joe. Yeah, I, I am an introvert, and I actually find it far less. Uh, challenging to stand in front of people and speak versus have maybe a group of 20 people that I have to navigate. So at some point, if I can be helpful, I would love to be helpful in that way. At this point, it's through like larger classes that maybe get to a few thousand people and sharing when people ask me to share. Mm -hmm. I also think everyone has a unique way of impacting people. And the one-to-one is really, I think, what I was born to do. I sit down with someone, I ask them about where they are and what they're stuck on. And they have right. never felt more seen in their entire life. So right. part of me sees the beauty of scale. I see it at Google mm-hmm. every morning. And the other right. part of me sees the beauty of intimacy and the one-on-one chance for people to be seen in a mm. way that they often are not. Here you are. You just have figured out how to give away tons of money and and. and basically bring in tons of money and give on a large scale. Um, do you ever get into a scarcity mode? Like, what about me? What about me? Like, I want, you know, I want a summer home abroad. I want to like, like stuff. Do you, do you ever get, go there or like, or do you ever go to, you know, I spend so much time either at work or on my nonprofit. Like, I don't have any time left over for me. Do you ever get into a scarcity mode? It's what I'm trying to ask you. Time is the biggest gift that I have that I experience in life. One of my core values is like, I don't buy anything new and I'm not hyper consumeristic. In fact, I'm probably the complete opposite end of that continuum or right. pendulum. Um, so I don't, I don't really feel it when it comes to material possessions or wanting a second home. Um, mm-hmm. Google pays people I should never say this because then no one will give me a raise. I think they pay people a lot of like healthy money for the jobs that they do. So I I own the home that I live in and I love that. And it's tiny and it's humble and it's got a lot of light and you can sort of see the trees, although you can't see the trees on a podcast, but there is. We can see the trees. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So it's just like all windows and trees. So I feel very grateful and very privileged. And I I get to live in like one of the most extensive areas of my country. And I don't feel like I'm going to get pushed out of it. So, For me, there's a very rational part of me that comes from a family of immigrants, which is to say, like, I need to get paid. And Google pays me, and I'm very grateful that it pays me, and I like the work that I do there a lot. And then there's another part of me which says, like, what do I love? What could Mm -hmm. I do at any point in the day? And it just gives me energy. And that is sort of your voice and coaching. I never feel tired by it. Um, I have a very vibrant community and friends and um, partners that just, like, come in and out of my life, and I'm so grateful for them. So it doesn't feel as if there's like a constraint because I live most days by my values. And that right. means some days I turn things off and I don't look at them. And then the right. next day I come back and I'm okay. Uh-huh. So, so basically when you find yourself not balanced and focused and centered in your values, you just kind of shut down a bit. Like the, in, the introvert goes introverted. If that's yeah. impossible, you're like a black hole. The <laughs> introvert finds a journal and says like, Ooh, we're not feeling good. Right. Like a, a few weeks right. ago I had a conversation with someone and it annoyed me. And halfway through the conversation, I said, I love this conversation, but where I need to go is like, I need to go process this thing. And I can't do that with you because you're somewhere else. And I said it very gently. And they said, Oh, wow. So I said, I'm going to hang up and I'm going to go journal. So I hung up, I journaled 20 minutes later, 
I said, oh, thanks for giving me that space. Mm-hmm. Most people don't do that. They don't right. like, care for themselves in a way that allows for self-exploration and understanding. Right. So you basically take a time out. Like when you're, no- when you're knowing you're at your edge, you take a time out. It's a pause. Even I have this Fitbit, Joe, and it tells me yeah, my yeah. resting heart rate is too high. Uh-huh. And every partner I've ever had, every best friend who's ever known me, if right. I'm about to get mean, I look down yeah. at this little Fitbit and I say, ooh, it's two days from my period. My resting heart rate is high. And I stop. And I stop right. before I say anything because I know that one of my triggers is a high resting heart rate. And I should only say things from a place of a medium resting heart rate or below. So my, my dad has, has a heart, heart math monitor that he gave me. And because I've practiced um, a lot of yoga in my day, I can actually be mad and bring down my breathing and heart rate. So, oh, so wow. although I know, right? So I can separate my physical reaction from my actual feeling state. So I can fool these devices. Maybe this is like state of the art, like the latest one. So maybe not any, but when I last did it, I was like, I'm not calm, but I'm, 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 I am actually, you know, fooling this thing. Isn't that crazy? Not that like, like I don't have to go prove that, but, but my point is, I think that we all have to find the tool that works, right? If I can trick myself out of that one, I better find one that I can't trick, yeah. right? Like, like I all need to say when it's time to like, okay, this conversation is going nowhere. Or like right now, my mind is so south that I should not be speaking from this place, right? Like I should just stop right yeah. now. Right? A woman yesterday stopped me in my tracks when we were chatting about someone else. And she goes, you know, Tara... To be imperfect is to show people vulnerability and to show them that you know that anyone can make mistakes and needs to be flexible. So to stop mid-conversation and say, oops, I shouldn't have said that, or that's not what I meant. Let me correct, or like give me a day. Most people will find that endearing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because you self-regulated or self-corrected. Such good stuff. Yeah, self-correction is big to be able to, to, to kind of take a pause and go, that's not how I want to show up. I, I, I didn't love that. Or Yeah. And uh, on yeah. all sides, right? Like um, as a woman of color, often yeah. I think people, white people, especially white men, feel as if yeah. they can't speak about things because they're worried about making mistakes. And the fact of the yeah. matter is we can all make these mistakes. So if you right. spoke to a straight white man and I looked at him and I said, oh, well, a straight white middle-aged man would think X. And I realized I haven't asked this man if he's straight. I haven't asked him if he identifies as a man. He just looks like one. That's I haven't right. asked him if he identifies as middle-aged because that could be rude too. So I right. pause and say, ooh, I'm so sorry. Like, right. how do you identify? How, how should I name you? Or like, what, right. What, what's right? And he right. goes, no, yeah, I am a straight white middle-aged man. But right. that pause was for me a learning that like, you shouldn't label people regardless of what you look like or sound like. Right. Oh, it's not true though. I often get that when I... Um, when I meet someone, let's say, yes, sometimes I've had a service professional call me on the phone. And then when my last name is Sawalha by marriage, and then we start talking and they go, Oh, and I, and I, and I know, I know that they expected an Arab woman with an Arab accent. And it's like, Right. No, it's not right. And it's, but it's great when we all can catch ourselves because there's not one of us who don't walk around with some kind of prejudice. Of course, of course we do. 
Of course we do. We do. Like bias is a human experience. And again, if we can play with that instead of build walls around it. Yeah. Oh, we could continue this forever, uh, but we are not going to. We're actually going to wrap up. Let's just tie back a little bit to your nonprofit. If you were to give someone who's listening another tidbit about, like, really, you brought in $250 million last year. If someone said, I'm so passionate about this subject, I want to do that too. Uh, something else other than what you've already said. What do you think? Because it really seems to me that that wasn't, you don't relate to that, that that was hard. That you, you don't have like, that was so difficult and I gave blood and that was so hard. Like, it's more like, that's what you did. So for someone to proceed with their passion and with that kind of ease and courage, what, do, what would you say to them? Something that's deeply rooted in love. Uh, love that you feel in the pit of your stomach every time you think about it. I think the world needs more of us like anchoring in that. And then you wake up and like, no matter what shit hits what fan, you're thinking this is where I was meant to be and what I was meant to be doing. So mm. the closer you get to that, the better off you are, especially in the Bay. I hear lots of people talking about profit margins and return on investment and scalability. Right. And I just think, Ooh, but do you love it? Like, do you yeah. love what you're doing? And if the answer right. is no, try again. Right. <laughs> I love that. If the answer is no, try again. That's awesome. Tara, I adore you. Thank you for coming on today. Um, you know, I might just double back and have you on again. We'll see. But, you know, have a fantastic day and just keep doing what you're doing, okay? Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. If you liked this episode of The Boss Lady Speaks and if it helped you, make sure to subscribe to get more episodes like these and do share them with others. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.